podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Strikercast. We've got a special episode for you this week. As per usual, I'm joined by Mike, but we have Phil Brown as a guest this week to talk about a number of issues at Manchester United. Phil Brown has been, I suppose, making podcasts and radio shows for a long time on sports. Beyond the Pitches is something, a show I've featured on quite a number of times and he's well-sourced, very good when it comes to United. Phil, how are you? Always good, Debbie Ontale. Thanks for having me, mate. Brilliant. And Mike, how are you keeping the past week since I last spoke to you? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Not too bad. Not too bad. Obviously, the the my latest icons piece about Patrick O'Connell went out today, mm. which was um, a lot of work went into that one. So this one, this one is a more of a long form read than the other ones. But there was really no other way to get this out there because it's not like Patrick O'Connell is someone that's known even though really he should be. And sort of, I, I should just name check on that Michael Anderson, who was the journalist who helped me a lot. And he made a documentary film about him and linked everything to the website in the piece that's gone out on the website. But um, yeah, it was a labour, that one. And I think at some point, not specified in the date yet, there is, there is a podcast going to be coming out, which is me speaking to Michael about Patrick and a bit about the campaign as well to get him commemorated. Yeah, I, want, I want to touch on that quickly before we jump into our conversation because there was a part of the, the piece I didn't know about which was when they were recording the documentary and working on it. You mentioned that United weren't very helpful at all whereas Barcelona were, were really helpful. Yeah, that's, that's right. So Barcelona basically... Um, so obviously Betis, for obvious reasons, were, were eager because everyone in Betis is still sort of a hero in that part of Seville anyway. So the commemorative bust, which is this 20 kilo bronze bust, which was uh, constructed by this um, UN commissioned artist, is has pride of place in the stadium. But uh, Barcelona inducted him into the Hall of Fame in 2015. They were really eager to get him in because he had such a key role in saving the club from going out of existence during the Spanish Civil War uh, when... Franco, because the Barcelona president, Josep Sunyol, who was the guy that brought O'Connell to the club in 1936, uh, uh, he was assassinated just over a month into the war by Francoist forces. And then the league was essentially shut down. They tried to carry on for a while with the Mediterranean League, which was just some of, sort of, uh, a few regional teams. And then, but... Uh, they, when they couldn't carry on financially, they were in a lot of problems, obviously, because they couldn't raise money. And they knew they would be a target for Franco instantly because they were the rallying point for, a rallying point for Catalan nationalism. It's kind of difficult to quantify an equivalent clubs to what maybe you get something like Barcelona or Athletic Club de Bilbao in where they're not just football clubs, they are focal points and political points to the communities. Mm. Uh, and they were offered a lifeline by a Catalan businessman who basically fled to Mexico not long before the war um, and had businesses over there and said, look, why don't you come and do a tour over here? And it, basically, even though they only returned with four members of the squad after that, because most of them for their own safety decided to stay in Mexico, 
or, or they went to the United States, or they went uh, to uh, South, uh, somewhere else in Latin America. The money raised saved the club, and um, they had a big presentation at the museum in the stadium that they had before a game. They actually slightly held up the kickoff time for a game to have this presentation. And Mike, his grandson, was there, and uh, he had and and the guys who run the campaign. Commemoration campaign, and they had uh, the cap, which was O'Connell's cap that he got when he got his first cap for Ireland. And Bartomeu, the Barcelona president, was like, Can I touch it? He just wanted to touch it. It was incredible. So he's in the Hall of Fame, mm. Barcelona. He's, he's, he's the guy that managed Real Betis to their only league title to date. And, you know, he had a huge impact. Uh, he managed Sevilla as well. And the two clubs organised a testimonial for him when he was strapped for cash in the 50s in retirement. So, yeah, I mean, go and read the piece. There's a lot in there, but it's it's well worth your time. And I think there really needs to be a big push, I think, as I sort of intimated in the piece, for the fans to push for United to make a point of putting this, making a, creating some sort of even small feature for this guy in the club museum because he really should be remembered. Of course, you speak, you speak to a lot of Manchester United fans and you know, pe- people will be kind of, I suppose, embarrassed to say, I don't know who that is because he's a former United player. But, but it's true, no fault, no fault of their own. It's, it's true the fault of the club for not celebrating this incredible figure of, of history, of not just Manchester United, but football, Barcelona. He's involved in the civil wars and so on. But, but just on that, Phil, to bring you in, Mm-hmm. The relaunch of Beyond the Pitch, it's, it's not just obviously Manchester United stories, you're, you're covering right. a lot, lot more now. Yeah, I mean, look, that's what we started out doing uh, when BTP was born 10 years ago. Uh, we had a wide variety of content that covered football across the globe. Um, some things that happened since then, 2015, my partner who I was doing BTP with at the time, um, I'm not going to get into it, but uh, took off with a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, it um I've never heard from him again. So at that point, BTP was solely down to me. There was a, and anyone that runs a podcast knows that the recording side of it, maybe ten percent. There's all the operational side. There's the cutting audio. There's editing. There's promotion of content. All that stuff that I just didn't have time for, nor have the energy to do. So we just sort of carried on doing the Man United show every week uh, and we sort of died down. Uh, we, we let all these other contacts die out. Um, but uh, towards the end of last year, I was working with a guy, um, Callum McFadden, who started his own podcast, CFB Football, which has been truly meteoric. If you, have, if you don't follow him, you should follow him. It's fantastic, uh, yeah. Yeah, the kid is just, uh, I don't know how he does it. Um, you know, his first month, he had over 100,000 downloads. Uh, and uh, just exceptional guest after exceptional guest and he had the energy that I had when we were first starting out and he's been asking me to be a part of this for a long time Uh, he's taken over a lot of the social media Uh, we've brought in a number of people actually Uh, we've put money into it we've partnered with some other companies that uh, professional sports promotional companies who have been asking to be a part of this so there's new energy behind it and now we're getting back to what we were uh, in the beginning Uh, and so we've lucky enough to enjoy good contacts throughout the sport that allow us to do this so I'm quite excited about it Dale because uh, it's sort of been a rebirth for me and falling back in love with recording uh, as I manage my own mental health issues and realize that 
I need positive distractions and uh, I need something to put my energy into because if, as we know, during this lockdown, we focus on a lot of different things. When I stay busy and stay doing the things that I love doing, uh, I, I, I notice my stress, anxiety, depression levels drop quite a bit. Mm. And so BTP's always been that uh, cathartic thing for me and it's serving a great purpose in my life. And as you know, when you're when you, when you get a little bit of success, you get momentum, you get confidence back, and and you just keep growing. So, uh, we've got a lot of new exciting things coming out, and um, I'm really excited to be doing this again. And uh, this is BTP needed to have new life breathed into it. It was looking old and stale. We are doing a lot of new web designs and doing a lot of things I really don't know how to do that I've turned over to younger people who. Uh, uh, I've taken it in a new direction and I'm really excited about it so um, yeah it's great no brilliant congratulations on, on, on I suppose a relaunch and, and there's, there's something you kind of touched on there which I, I really wanted to, to talk about was the mm. mental health initiative which Beyond yes. the Pitch is doing can you tell us a bit about that well so I, I, anyone who's followed me for a long time will know I've been extremely open about my own mental health and addiction struggles um, throughout my life especially the last 10 years it's been a quite a difficult journey and um it took a lot for me to come out and admit these things. It was a massive moment of vulnerability, and I did it uh, on video. And anyone, there's that video still up on YouTube for anyone to watch. Uh, but the source of that obviously came through an extremely traumatic event uh, that I what I had to go through. That, uh, but the point, the point really was deal was to normalise these conversations and recognise that this isn't a weakness; it's an illness. And until depression and mental health issues are treated exactly the same way as a physical illness. In other words, if I call my boss and say I can't come in because I'm having a bad mental health day and that's treated exactly the same as saying the cold or the flu, then we have a lot of work to do. And it's really important that people normalize who have access to big platforms, normalize these conversations. Um, I'll just wait for that. Um, It's really important that we normalize these conversations and the people like myself that are fortunate enough to enjoy big platforms do that because one of the, the positive things that I've done that has happened since then is I've had a lot of people reach out to me, Callum being one of them, uh, who have been struggling, who have listened to my shows uh, and who, you know, I'm not, I'm not a professional, so it's imperative that people reach out to professionals first and foremost and never take my advice over a professional. I'm just there as a, as a friend, someone, if it's someone that, it's, uh, that if they need help, I'll be there for them. Mm. But seeing people rebuild their lives who have been struggling like I have, who have come out with safety in numbers, has been just the most rewarding thing. I've done a podcast the other day with Ken Martino. Uh, Ken Martino was ex-US international, of course, uh, ran for US soccer president out here. He does the Premier League, and, 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 and here he's a, quite a famous name. He married into an extremely famous family. His mother-in-law, Susan Sarandon. Um, you know, Susan Sarandon, Tim Robbins married him, going down the aisle. So this is a guy that's had his life in the public eye for a long, long time. Uh, he's a very close friend of mine. And he also came out, he deleted his Twitter last year, came out and talked about his own mental health struggles. Uh, his, his, uh, sorry for a long-winded answer here. but um, but uh, And, of course, the self-medication through alcohol and what have you. Yeah. And, uh, and, again, I've had people reach out to me after that podcast about reaching people and so it's imperative upon all of us I think to normalize these conversations especially with men I mean both both genders have to have have their own um men women whatever you identify with all have their but when you look at the suicide rates um there's a serious problem with men opening up and talking about this 
and uh, it, it's completely unacceptable to me that uh, we have juvenile suicide through the roof with males and um, female, anyone in general, but more has to be done. Yeah. And it's not just pharmacological solutions. It's up to all of us to reach out to people to say it's okay not to be okay. I know a podcast that Mike listens to too, Blind Boy from the Rubandits, you know, yeah. an Irish guy. His podcast, he kind of touches on different things, how to deal with different situations stuff. Mm. But for me, it's t- five, ten years ago, there's no way you would have had a podcast like that. Um, yeah. This thing, the, the, the mental health was always brushed under the carpet. And I, and I do think, I do think it's getting better. More people are talking about it. And it's, it's, it's definitely more, more like with open arms, people are more accepting of it, but it's still a long way to go. Yeah, when you were talking about, Phil, how it's sort of, it's still not kind of recognised, I think, like, especially employers as almost being like a legitimate yeah. uh, health condition. I mean, I, I'm talking to someone that suffers with bipolar type 2. I take yeah. medication for that. People need to realise that you, you have, whether it's bipolar or any kind of psychosis, depression, mm-hmm manic episodes, anxiety, that there is a huge level of physical debilitation that comes involved. Because you cannot physically function like a normal human being when you're dealing with this. And and that's, and I think that's a really important point. And I I think when you're talking about especially with men, I mean, that's a great point. It's still not talked about. I have my own difficulties with it. It's sort of tied into the fact that I didn't come, I was, didn't come out as bisexual till last year and all that as well and you know obviously us being involved talking about football I mean it's certainly a big issue with football and I, I think the way especially male footballers get talked about in relation to mental health is nothing short of disgraceful really I remember the way Aaron, Aaron Leonard was talked about when he yep. had his episode and they were talking about how much money he earns like what yeah. the fuck is that going to do with the guy's agree. mental health at all I mean, we saw uh, some of this. It, it really is disgraceful on how pejorative the discussions are where we qualify whether someone's entitled to suffer from mental health issues. And it always works around means. It's dependent. Okay, you may call this money, you shouldn't be sad. But that's an illness in itself to think that money brings any level of happiness. If money will buy you comfort, but it will never bring you any degree of happiness. And first of all, let me say, Mike, I commend you immensely for having the courage to come out and be open and I long for the day when you never have to disclose any sexual orientation because it's perfectly normal and you, uh, they're, 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 this is as normal as I don't have to come out and say, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm straight or whatever. It's accepted. It's not anyone else's business. It's your life. And wherever you find love and whoever you find love with is none of anyone else's business. And it's utterly disgraceful that anyone would look at any human being pejoratively because they have a particular sexual persuasion it's disgraceful i mean i have four children any one of them could 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 be exactly the same and it would mean nothing to me i would put my arms around them and say i don't care i love you for who you are i completely accept you for who you are um what's more important to me is that your moral compass how you are as a human being how you treat other people but if you're going to make qualifications on whether people's acceptable because they conform to such a narrow view of what you think is acceptable, you know, you're the problem. It's not the other person. And so I give you immense credit because there are people out there, Mike, that will be behind you that are saying, Thank, you, may, you may never hear from these people, but I guarantee you there's people out there and even people listening to this will be saying thank you for normalizing these conversations. Yeah, no, I just want to touch on this with people's opinions and, and people basically stepping in with opinions that 
don't are not welcome. I was reading Twitter yesterday and Troy Deeney, Watford striker, has made a decision not to return to training because his five month old son has um, yeah. has breathing difficulties and we're in a situation <laughs> now with COVID nineteen and he he's made a decision that he does not want to turn to training and, and Absolutely run, correct to do Absolutely. so. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. But but reading some of the tweets and people being downright obnoxious uh, about his decision and just being horrible it he's made a decision and your your opinion does not matter his decision it's made it's made a set in stone mm-hmm. and i was thinking before before this pandemic to me football was the be all and end all of everything one because mm-hmm. i've no i've no children of my own sure. no, I, I i have a child in the way but before now responsibilities i didn't really have any but this pandemic has opened my eyes up to do you know what football is not everything and safety of people and the well-being of people and we're talking about mental health here too. People being locked indoors now. We mm-hmm. have to, we have to speak about this, and we have yep. to make it make it such an open forum so people can come out and, and talk about it because it is okay. You know, it's okay to feel down, but when you when you come out and you feel down, there will be someone there. There will be someone that you can talk to. You might not think it, but there's, def- there's someone. Everyone has someone that they can talk absolutely, to. absolutely, absolutely. And and if you speak to someone. And they don't get it. Well, you go and speak to someone else. Yeah, like, exactly. because they're they're evidently we're not worth your time in the first place. <laughs> it took just yeah. a quick run in the case of Troy Deeney. I'd be interested to see if any of those people on social media would say any of that to Troy Deeney's face. <laughs> I bet they wouldn't. They certainly. But, but you know, let's let's be honest, dear boys. Right, um, Troy Deeney. Uh, there's a certain perception based on boxes he takes that are disgraceful. Unless we we, we talked about Aaron Lennon here. You know, don't tell me, just like Raheem Sterling, that there are certain qualifying factors that go into how people think about them, because that, that's just a fact of life, sad as it is. Um, and uh, the, Troy Deeney is 100% correct. There is no number that you can pay someone to take a risk for their life and someone else's. And if a human being doesn't feel safe, it's not their job to entertain us. It's not their job to take risks because you want to be entertained. It's not their job to lift the morale of the country. Mm-hmm. These people are human beings. And, and, and something else that needs to be pointed out, because I hear this argument all the time. I heard it, I heard it out here with Colin Kaepernick that because we have black athletes making enough massive amounts of money in sports, that's somehow evidence that racism doesn't exist in society. Listen, these contracts are not community projects. They're not being given these contracts just because... These are their game keys contracts because they make enormous amounts of money for the organizations they represent. So they're not being given them because of any other reason than the fact that they're worth a lot of money to the people that are giving them this. So let's, let's, it's not evidence of anything other than the fact that that individual makes somebody else a lot of money. And, it, and the only thing that I just want to add to this, we have, you know, there's a Michael Jordan documentary out right now that everybody's in love with. You know, the last dance, this mentality. But there's certain parts of this that need to be talked about because there's a bullying aspect in this and there's this love of the single-minded mentality of success at all costs. Not everybody can be that way. Mm. And not everybody should be that way. And there's a human side to this. Sometimes winning isn't the most important thing. Sometimes there's more important things than winning. And, you know... I just I, I I don't like this love of the single-minded selfishness of I'm great and if you don't rise up to my level you are worthless. Lots of people are dealing with things in their life 
whether it's biological, whether whatever, that prohibits their ability to be that person. Mm -hmm. And we should realize that, look, not everybody can be Michael Jordan. Not everybody can be Roy Keane. Not everybody can be that person. And thank God they're not. And we should embrace the fact that some people are are, are, are very empathic. They're 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 vulnerable to, to lots of different things in their environment. It depends on how they're raised, their education, their parents, their social conditioning, their genetics. Lots of, ver- of variables that goes into how a human being is the way they are. And nobody should have any aspersions cast upon them. Because they're a cert, they're, they have a certain personality or a certain way. Nobody asks for mental illness. And when you live with it, a physical illness is different because you know, all right, three months from now, this is not going to hurt. A mental illness, there's no end in sight. And, and it's very, very difficult just to snap out of it and say, oh, I'll be okay. It doesn't work like that. Just sticking on the football restart topic, because I think it's kind of it's relevant with, with the return of Bundesliga as well. And... A lot of people are sharing their opinions on whether it's the right time. And I think for me, totally lacking experts um, from government level and from mm-hmm. football level. We have we have football suits that I think are prioritising financial gain over the safety of people. Because mm-hmm. these footballers we're talking about here, they're the ones most at risk. They're the mm-hmm. ones putting their, their health on the line. Yet they're not the ones being all being consulted, which is just shocking, really. Mike... First with you, I know we've talked about COVID-19 a lot on the podcast, we talked about return of football. Where do you stand on all this? Forget about it for a second, where they jumped into it too quick. But is there, so there's almost a feeling now in the UK that, look what they're doing, we better catch up with it quickly. Mm-hmm. And if, if anyone's learned anything about this pandemic and this crisis, every country is different. Every country's at a different yeah. stage of this pandemic. For me, I think it's ridiculous that the Premier League is, it, it, are back training this week. I think it's I think it's madness because you look at the the numbers in the UK, they're, they're not they're not encouraging at all. No, the numbers really still aren't really dropping below 500 deaths a day, so that's a problem first of all. Obviously, I spoke about this at length the previous week, and I think it's highly immoral that the Premier League are even considering this. I think it's an absolute disgrace, frankly. They're putting the health and safety of the players at risk, as we've seen already. Uh, several players from Brighton tested positive already. So what happens there now? I mean, surely they all have to go in to, to whoever was in that group that were there for training would surely have to go into some kind of isolation. So we are not a comparable situ- in a comparable situation to Germany as a whole. Forget the football for a moment. Germany uh, have handled this crisis much better because they have someone in charge who is actually competent at doing their job and actually had experts advising them who were not political appointees. This was something that was re- that's really been overlooked when the government here has been t- in the UK has been talking about following the science. That panel, that SAGE panel, has been advising the government is political appointees. They were mm-hmm. all have been appointed under the, 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 within the last 10 years which means they've been appointed by this government. I mean, there was one of them, a guy called Professor John Edmonds, who's a professor of epidemiology, who was really caught with his pants down on Channel 4 News recently, about two weeks ago. And uh, there's a clip from his interview with Kathy Newman that's been doing the rounds where he's basically pretending that herd immunity is a concept. It doesn't exist, even though it was very clear to everyone and from um, any of the kind of leaks and dispatches out of the meetings that we've seen, that that was the initial strategy that they were pursuing, even though there was no evidence 
that herd immunity works when you don't have a vaccine and you mm -hmm. don't know enough about the, the actual uh, genetic makeup and the biology of the virus, which we don't. Um, and the, the other problem is, and what's really wound me up about, purely on a shallow level, what's really wound me up about this pandemic is that it's, it's meant I've been agreeing with Piers Morgan, which is not something I <laughs> ever have to be doing ever. Absolutely shocking. But he's correct, and he pointed out the real problem is could be is going to be a second wave of this virus, and there's been this huge rush for us to try and open everything up in this country. I don't know the ins and outs of the situations where you are in Irondale. Uh, I mean, I know the general situation in the states, Phil, but I don't know. Mm -hmm. Obviously, state by state situations yeah. are a little bit different. But I know that that um, orange blob fuckwit that's in yes. charge is screwing everything up. Oh, don't be giving a man a compliment. No, 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 no. I, I feel like thing you could ever say about him. <laughs> it might be, yeah. I think that's maybe even kinder than anything his wife said about him. But the, yeah. um, the, the, the this rush to open everything up, and he's then going to start a second wave of this virus. I mean, even within different parts of the UK, we're at different points. So London is now sort of slightly better off than what it was maybe a month ago. But I mean, that's setting a bar that's so low you couldn't even limbo under the fucking thing. And then you essentially you, the northwest of England. You've got the north, the northwest of England, which is the epicenter of this virus now. So, like uh, Manchester, Oldham, Salford, parts of West Yorkshire. And let's have a look at the top six teams in a league. You have Liverpool, you have Manchester City, Manchester United, and Sheffield United. They all fall within that northwest part of the country. What are you going to restart the league now? Yeah. I, I, they shouldn't even be thinking about restarting anything Good until man. August. And the only options on the table, as far as I'm concerned, is you either finish the rest of the season at some yet unspecified later date and just write next season off and don't have it, or you write this season off. But even then, I'm not sure that's plausible because if we do, which I think we probably will get a second wave of this virus coming through, because there isn't realistically going to be a vaccine until next year, whatever mm -hmm. this despite the fact that our government has committed to one by September the 1st, which is yeah. crazy, um, then essentially you're going to have a situation where you're going to play one season, a whole season in, what, four or five months? Absolutely ridiculous. It is, it is, it is. And as yeah. well as that, another factor are the uh, playing games behind closed doors. And I'm sure, Phil, you've watched, you watched Bundesliga last week. Mm -hmm. I watched the Schalke and Dortmund game, which finished 4-0 to Dortmund. But it was really clear in that game after 2-0 maybe. Without the atmosphere in the stands and the fans, Schalke had totally given up. There was no bite. There was no bite. So mm. that was really evident there, that games behind closed doors, one team has a massive disadvantage if they go a goal or two behind. Look, I... I... I can't, I can't echo make sentiments anymore. First and foremost, Germany and the UK and the US are not analogous. The situations are completely different. Now, a German president is a chemist. Right? She has a brain, she didn't play politics. Uh, she's done everything right. Uh, and Germany can slowly emerge from this lockdown because they did it right. <clears throat> Here, California, thankfully... Uh, concentration of the population is somewhat spread out and we have a governor that has a brain because we have a president who's a fucking imbecile um, who quite frankly um, I don't think he's learned how to, to, to say the alphabet yet and it's just the disgraceful indictment on education on basic reasoning that we have this guy 
who to me would offend the sensibilities of a six-year-old because of his lack of education. Um, you know, there's no intellectual standards anymore. Do people not expect at the very least in any relationship? Is, that's a bit insulting to six-year-olds, aren't they? Honestly, it's just, it's so offensive to me. I look at them and I listen to the people running around here talking about freedoms and I protest and I asked a, a friend of mine, I'm like, look, I want to ask you a couple of things. First of all, Give me another example of life in America where you have the freedom to do whatever you want without concern or, or responsibility to public safety. For example, let's say you drive a car. You say, fuck those traffic lights, those commie bastards. I'm not turning left when they tell me to turn left. I'm going to fucking play through them and wipe six people out. That's freedom. Yeah. I have the freedom to go in the street and shoot my guns at whoever I want. Anything else is communism. The problem is, what if your neighbor thinks that too? Right? He has the right to fucking shoot you. That's freedom, right? Because if you got the right, he got the right. The other thing is, when we're talking about an acceptable level of death to open up an economy, just remember, somebody else is making the same bet you're making that you'll be the one to die, not them. So if you're going to turn around and say, yeah, there's an acceptable level of death to open the economy, you just have to start with yourself. Because the people that are saying that are betting you'll die, not them. And when the politicians are saying that, they're talking about you. They're not talking about them. So make sure that any solution you're comfortable with, the worst that can happen, you apply it to yourself first. Okay? Because other people are making that same bet. So to me, there is no acceptable level of death to reopen an economy. And there is no economy until we control the virus anyway. There's no consumer confidence. There's none of these things. And once again, for the second time in 12 years... Uh, socialism is built on capitalism. We've seen a massive transfer of public money into private hands. With, and, of course, the public and small businesses get fucked over as usual. So what we will see is financial necessity will soon, uh, will soon take precedent over safety. The British government will be losing a ton of money with taxes. Primarily, we put putting pressure on because they're losing money with revenue and eventually people's safety will be compromised. We talk about players here, guys, but let's remember... Outside of the players, there's uh, there, there's club staff that are making you know a barely livable wage. There's lots of people involved in a football game. They're not being paid a lot of money, right? Their health, their health, and their lives will be at risk. And so you know the players, you know Premier League players, yes, they're entitled to the same uh, same same safety as anyone else, regardless of how much money you make or don't make. But it's all the other people behind them too, the faceless people that will have to work because they're skint and that are going to have to take these risks because the government threw them overboard and said, fuck you. And so this is an absolute disgrace. I mean, just, just finally on this, <clears throat> first of all, I never understand how people politicize their own life. But um, we have people here screaming because illegal immigrants, they're not illegal immigrants, they're human beings, first of all, mm. are going to get some of the relief and I, I would remind them that there's a reason why you can go to the grocery store and buy food. They put it there. All right. So if you're going to if you're going to take the benefits of their labor, then you're going to compensate them whenever they need support. OK, because it doesn't work one way. Make sure when you're calculating the cost of immigration, you're adding into the fact that that's our new slave labor because there's no oversight in what they get paid and all this stuff. These people are, are paid horrendous amounts of money to live a horrendous existence there's nothing about it that's envious and it's blatant bigotry and racism against these people 
that um, that that prevent them from getting some relief. Absolutely. So it, it, it's all, I, it's, it's, I don't want to get political deal, but they'll bother me as an immigrant. It bothers me, and yeah. I, I I I don't like how the language that was which are being discussed. And Pretty Patel is an absolute disgrace. I, I, I think you mentioned bigotry there. It's people that are of that view haven't got the, the brain span to think logically the way you've just explained. I think that's the biggest problem. People need educating. And when you've got a president like you've got in America who, I suppose as a president, you're leading by some sort of example. His example is the wrong one. And it's an influence which is probably breeding throughout the country right now. You see, you see, kind of fucking see, guy you, I told you to take bleach. Yeah, yeah, fucking yeah, you even? Yeah, I should have been. Yeah, but, I should but, have been wheeled off on the fucking spot right there and said, <laughs> "Someone stop this fucking madness, bleach, self medicate on hydroxychloroquine for a malaria drug." But it's just fucking insanity. I know. Hi, is, is it? Hi, hi. I know. Can you still vote for this individual? I don't care what your politics are, but at some point you gotta look. If I'm going to have someone lead me, the first thing I have to be confident of is they're smarter than me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, what, we're gonna, what we're going to get on to some United <laughs> topics because we could actually spend probably the night talking about um, COVID-19 and Trump uh, and so on. But what I want to talk about first are Soul Charge's recent comments from a United We Stand interview, which has been lifted by a number of outlets since last night. He said, I'd rather have a hole in the squad than an arsehole. Personality is so important. We're a team in a team environment. Now, since Solskjaer has come in and looking at the players he, he, he has signed, I think we can all agree that the players have been the right fit um, in terms of the dynamic he wants to build around the squad. And Maguire has come in already a captain and leads by example on and off the pitch. But who do you think he's talking about here? Because some people I see on Twitter were jumping straight away. Paul Pogba, Paul Pogba. Yeah. But I think he's pointing more at, at, at players that... He got rid of in the summer. Now, one of those players that I thought was, was Romelu Lukaku. You did mm. one of the first interviews with Lukaku when mm. he signed for Manchester United for Beyond the Pitch. Mm-hmm. Before we get into who you think Solskjaer may have been on about, what was Lukaku like when, when you interviewed him? I mean, I, I, I interviewed him a couple of times. He interviewed him when he was at Anderlecht, when he was just a kid. Um, and I was fortunate enough to spend some time on his company. Uh, I have to say, uh, uh, extremely nice guy. Uh, really, uh, uh, re- look, he didn't want to go back to United. He wanted to go to Chelsea. United changed, obviously, when they couldn't get the Morata deal through. They were not confident. Real Madrid, they had gone through the Sergio Ramos thing before Real Madrid. They badly needed a striker. They weren't confident. Real Madrid were going to we're going we're going to sell them. So they, uh, Chelsea weren't willing to pay Lukaku money. United stepped in and done the deal. He didn't want to go there. Now, in saying that, he was happy that he ended up going there, uh, and he was extremely nice to me, extremely nice to my kid, my dad, everyone, a uh, total gentleman. Um, but before, I have to say, though, Dale, um, I, I don't think, if you look at Lukaku's conduct, it, to me it was obvious, just with the way Solskjaer was playing, that Lukaku was going to have a problem fitting into that system. And he cost too much money for him to be a backup striker. And he's in the prime of his career, and there was no way you know, we're going to let an £80 million striker sit in the bench. It just made no sense. So, to me, it was predictable. I talked about it in my podcast around February or March of that year that I think Lukaku will be moved on. Right? Uh, it no longer fits the way you know, want to play. And so, um, it was predictable that that was going to happen. And I, when, as, as far as what Solskjaer's words were... It's very difficult to single out one particular individual. I think that, in my opinion, 
you know, you hear a lot about uh, we need to re- restore the culture at Manchester United. We need to go back. The, the culture set from the top down, okay? You know, that's set. When United operate as a business that happens to play football and it doesn't have the culture of the football club that existed before, Solskjaer is inheriting something that's set from, the, from above his head. And I think what we've seen since this pandemic and maybe it's Neil Ashton's impact, I don't know, that United are starting to get things right in terms of their community, in terms of their publicity, in terms of how they're doing things. And there definitely feels like there's been a, a shift in mentality and working environment. So it may, the, it would be, in my opinion, unfair to single out one individual because there's probably plenty of them. But Soskirt deserves enormous credit. It's changed the norm to saying, you know what, it's no longer acceptable in this dressing room. The working environment's changed to be selfish, self-centered. If you, you know, any, it doesn't matter whether you're a footballer. It doesn't matter whether you work in an office. Everyone adjusts to the environment in that, in that, uh, their place of employment, whether it's toxic or not. If it's a healthy working environment, then, and you're a toxic dick, then you're going to stand out. No one wants to be that. So... Solskjaer has done a great job of creating a new norm, and you sort of saw this against City. We saw Bruno Fernandes getting a Pep Guardiola new swagger back, a new confidence mm. back. Everyone pulling in the same direction, and so no longer would you be just one of the guys if you're a if if you're a selfish prick. You're now going to be pushed out, and uh, everyone's pulling in the same direction. Solskjaer's done a great job, so I think that is more a generic comment rather than a, a directed at one individual. Yeah, I, I think it's it's something he's tried to change because you're spot on in terms of from the top down, that's where you set your, your, your real environment from, from the close mm-hmm. point of view. They have got things right during the pandemic, absolutely. Um, raising tons of money for the supporters clubs, um, taking money off season tickets next year for season ticket holders, and just the list goes on. Harry Maguire too deserves a mention for a lot of the work he's done. But Solskjaer as well, his hands, I think, I believe, are still tied behind his back because... The news came out there about a month ago the United have stopped their search for a director of football. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the worrying sign for me was, yes, we've had a transfer winner with Solskjaer. He's brought in the good players. We've had two of them. We, we've, we've definitely boosted the squad and got rid of a few bad eggs. But my fear is going forward still. It's still Ed Woodward at the wheel. It's still Ed Woodward mm-hmm. making those decisions. And that hasn't changed. And it's, for me, Solskjaer, we can compliment him um, and what the work he's done so far. But the wheels are going to come off that bus eventually unless the changes are made at the top, the right changes. And if Ed Woodward is still making the transfer decisions and more decisions, which I think, actually, when I first read that they wanted a director of football, I was thinking, how are they going to find one that's going to be happy to work under him, under his conditions? Because he's not going to lift his power. He loves his power. He loves hanging his jacket on big signings who then end up not working out because they're just big names and he thinks football is a game of FIFA or Pro Evolution. Mm. A big wake-up call is needed there. And the worrying thing is the Glazers have no problem with the work he's done because he's making the money. I question whether there was ever a serious search for the rest of football that ever actually was carried out. I'm not entirely convinced about this at all. Listen, my thoughts on these podcasts and on the stuff I've written for the Strictly News website on Manchester United's answer to Shelley Levine have been made clear many, many times. Mm. Um, uh, he's a banker. He's a banker that got lucky because he was the only banker that the Glazers could find that would uh, help put together their insane leveraged buyout of the club. Yep. Yep. 
Yeah. And because of that, he's always managed to stay in their good graces, even though, and you know, yeah, he's maybe grown the finances and stuff for the club. But I look at the long term picture, mm-hmm. Old Trafford is in need of a major renovation. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, there's, uh, the seats need sorting. I think that a lot of the facilities within the stadium need to be sorted. I don't mean knock it down, but there's, there's a big renovation, internal renovation of the stadium that needs to happen. There's no yeah. sign of that on the horizon. That, that's got to be priority. You've got to think about the long-term future of the club. I think there needs to be... Um, yeah, and there needs to be a real, actual five, ten-year strategy for recruiting and developing players is in place. And then Bubba's not fit to do that. He has no idea what to, how to do that. He doesn't have the list of contacts. He was relying far too heavily on agents mm-hmm. um, rather than relying on scouts who then have the relevant contacts to get into those people for you. The contacts you need to have are footballing people that then get you in with the camps of those players and will also be able to tell you about A, whether that player is going to be able to fit in on the pitch, and B... Will he bring any baggage off the pitch as well that needs to be looked at before you sign them? And that clearly has not been looked at. Most of these big money signings that we've made up until very recently simply have not worked out. In fact, they've been nothing sort of disastrous. The Alexis Sanchez one is a prime example of that. I mean, that's just, just a complete mess. Phil, do you know much about this scouting network, which the club... Mm. The club has apparently put in place because something Mike just touched on was the background research of, of the incoming yeah. signings. And Marcus Rojo, uh, one particular name, had a, a court case hanging over his head before he joined the club, which the club didn't oh, even know. Oh, I about. forgot about that. Mm. <laughs> like, what's going on? Uh, it's, uh, okay, well, what's blatantly obvious uh, since after David Moyes, uh, United strategy, whether it was a manager or whether it was a player, was... He's a bit good. He'll do, right? So um, you can tell. What was the due diligence done on Van Hal? Now, if you just think about Manchester United for a minute, it was a football club. I'll try to not make this a long-winded answer, but United were operationally twenty years, twenty-five years behind Chelsea, everyone else, because United had Ferguson for so long. So the club never evolved, and it was the manager surely makes all the bad decisions. And um, the problem is. When Moyes got sacked, there was a big gap, and this really is where it really started and continued, and yet it never addressed. There was a big gap between Moyes getting sacked, Van Hal coming in, Ferdinand Vidic, Avra, all leaving in the same season because... Uh, United were letting the manager make all the decisions. The club stood still. They had Ander Herrera and Luke Shaw lined up. Van Hal decided to go through with that, but it was nowhere near enough. So that interim period between appointing a manager... Uh, all these other clubs around the world, they don't stand still during that, right? So they have people that are in charge of recruitment at the football club. And like Pacioltino was saying at Spurs, you're almost just a coach, right? So Van Hal comes in. Then you've got the, the problem that he's at the World Cup. So now you need to you need even further behind. And then he wants to evaluate the score. And then they want buy late. If you buy late in the window, you pay higher prices. You also panic buy. So they overpaid for Di Maria and they overpaid for Falcao um, in, in the same summer. Uh, so you can see that there was very little thought process that went into Van Halen name-checked Di Maria the week before United signed him. You can tell Falcao was an agent ringing saying, do you want him? Yeah, he's better than Danny Welbeck. We'll take him. 
Um, he was coming off a knee injury, a fantastic player. But no serious thought was given, how do we integrate him into our style? Dan Woodward doesn't recognize a process, right? He's committed to the outcome, but not the process. So process can be, progress is not always linear. Sometimes you go forward, sometimes you go back. When you go back, you have to know that the process is, is, is working, but this is how it goes. So he loses confidence halfway through a manager's reign and doesn't back them completely. And so the squad never resembles what a manager wanted it to look like in order to have to, to play the way he wants to play. So then he goes to Mourinho, who's a completely different coach. Now, again, if you'd have done your, your homework, you'd have realized you don't go from Van Hal to Mourinho. They're very similar personalities. You need someone that comes in and puts an arm on the shoulder. But you need to fit at the profile of a football club that hired Jose Mourinho, someone that was willing to sacrifice their principles for a while um, to get success. The problem is they don't know exactly the same with Mourinho that they did with Van Hal. Halfway through his tenure, they start backing him, right? The, the year he finishes second, had to get cold feet. And like, eh. So it somewhat resembled the Mourinho side, right? So the, 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 and when you look at what was the due diligence on Sanchez? He hadn't played well for six months. It was Fernando Torres all over, right? Uh, it's, so you keep going through all these signings, and this is exactly the problem. Uh, now, Edward Ward is, is a really nice human being, right? They've had the fortune of spending time in his company. I like him. Personally, uh, he's quite intelligent. He is a really kind, generous human being, uh, but he's not cut out to be someone that buys players. Doesn't uh, doesn't understand it's that. It's funny thing, because you know. anyone I've spoken to that spent time in his company have all said the exact same thing. No, he's a really nice guy. Very, very. And I'll tell you something else. His heart was in the right place because David Gill had contempt for fans and and really didn't want anything to do with it. Edward Bird set out to try to communicate more, yeah. to try to be more visible, to try to... And, and he did make an effort. Um, but the, the the thing is, so, you know, he had to learn the job too. Uh, and you don't come out and make bombastic statements and then not deliver. That's that's a problem. So I, I finally feel like there's, you know, Woodward, if you saw early on when this pandemic, where he was setting expectations about transfer fees and everything else and ignores the reality of the game, that's exactly what he should be doing. You know, going out there, being responsible in how you speak, recognizing that a lot of people are hurting, first of all. So be sensitive to that. Don't be going out making big promises that we can do things other clubs can't. Don't do not do that. And and so you finally see some level of efficiency. United under Ferguson almost surgically brought in players. And now you're seeing that again where, you know, you bring in more than three players, you completely change the dynamic of the dressing room. And then that it has the potential... To go wrong, so they're bringing in players slowly, 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 improving, 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 also improving the players that they have, which is um, huge credit to Solskjaer. And I think Woodward's starting to get out of the way now. Uh, I completely agree with Mike that I don't think they were ever really committed to director of football simply because I don't ever see the Glazers turning over that side of the business and giving someone carte blanche to, to do what, what they want. But what I do think will change at United is I think they'll go back to buying young talent. Before it matures, before they mature, and they pay high-end prices, you can see them doing with Bellingham. They've put a lot of effort and a lot of scouting into getting young players, but uh, 15, 16, that age group. We see it with Mabry. We've seen it with some other young talents that's coming to United, and, and, and that's encouraging because uh, if you remember Van Hal's first press conference, uh, he was asked, obviously, you know, this great Dutch coach who's got a tremendous track record with youth. 
and he was asked about it and he said, I was told only to worry about the first team. You know, they've neglected that youth team for so long and it's finally, they're finally realising that, um, you, you know, in order for you need to be healthy to get to Mason Greenwood and that, that, that that's, that's an extensive process. It takes a lot of work and a lot of investment. And I finally starting to see some encouragement on, on that side with netted restored back to their previous identity. But um, when you look at the numbers today, that's very, very concerning about the debt. Of course. And you mentioned they're, they're trying to sign young players, which Solcher did last last summer. And one name that keeps popping up is Jadon Sancho. Um, mm-hmm. now, th- th- you mentioned what Woodward said at the beginning of this pandemic. Yeah. touched on some of the transfer figures are crazy 100 million for players those deals are not going to happen now he may be playing that down I don't think he is but the Sancho deal Dortmund aren't going to budge on, on their asking price at all mm. even though his, his, his contract may be run down the next year or two but they have a top quality player their their business is, is almost based on this of getting young players in cheaper and selling them for maximum profit can you see Sancho happening this summer? Like it just there's, there's reports that Woodward and Matt Judge are working on deals again. De- deal, mm. Deals of players that are popping up out of nowhere, and not just Sancho, but it seems they're the busiest people in the world right now. They're they're totally ignoring social distancing by the sounds of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a go first, mate. I'll answer that, and I'll, I'll give you my view. Well, I think Woodward is wise to cancel um, caution. Yeah. And fan expectations. Still, just United are going to be in this boat, by the way. By all accounts, mm-hmm. Barcelona are in much bigger financial difficulties than we are right now. They are in serious trouble. Yep. Um, and then you think about, let's have a look at the other big clubs you've been competing with. Liverpool are in a relatively good position, but they're committing to a new stadium. So that's going to be a serious financial uh, um, expense. Um, you have. Chelsea, who are refusing to spend the kind of money that they were before because they understandably just don't see that as sustainable at all. Um, and I don't think they'll do much more business than Hakim Ziyech, who's coming in for next season. I think you'll probably see more people leaving Chelsea than you will coming in because I think Frank Lampard's kind of in the boat that Solskjaer is, that there's a lot of bodies in that squad that he needs to get rid of. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then you look at Man City... I wonder how Man City, you know, they've obviously got this, they've got this ban basically and they're dealing with all this effort, the ramifications of FFP right now. They might well not be buying anyone at all um, to to sort of, you know, play nice or if they do, maybe only one player. So then you kind of leave Real Madrid where you think, yes, maybe, but Perez is maybe reluctant to spend the kind of money on players that he would have done in the past. I think even he's looked at the market and thought, this is ridiculous. Also, Real Madrid spent a lot of money last summer and some of those buys have not worked out. Luka yeah, Jovic has point. been an yeah. absolute disaster since he's turned around and he's come back and caused all kinds of problems when he's been back in Serbia breaking social distancing laws. I mean, that guy... What happened? What did he when do, he mate? Went, what when did he went... Go on. Sorry, mate. What, what did Jovic do? Sorry. I was listening to you there. <laughs> so, he was allowed... He was given permission by, the, by Real Madrid to go back to Serbia to stay with his family while the season was suspended and then he more than one occasion breached social distancing law and mm. he incurred a huge amount of heat from that in Serbia he was already getting some bad press because there seemed to be a sense from him that when he first broke through um, he was sort of seen as like the, the next big great player 
um, to come out of, of basically the Balkans. And he was going to be sort yeah. of one of the spearheads of the next great Serbia team with Milinkovic Savic. And Milinkovic Savic had a bad season last season. He didn't have a good season, while Jovic had a really good season. Um, and what happened was he. So he goes, he goes to Real Madrid, it doesn't work out. He seems to be paying more attention to like being a celebrity. He's got this big celebrity girlfriend. He seems to be going out partying a lot. His performances around Madrid are not good. Um, and he's hardly making the team. He's getting injuries. And then he goes back to Serbia and does this. So Real Madrid have got issues with him right now because he was a big expense. I think he was like 50, 60 million pounds. He's a lot of money. Um, in fact, and, and then they've got the situation that they spent loads of money on Eden Hazard, who's barely played because he's been yeah. injured. Turned up not fit, which is just insane to me. Turns up, by all accounts, several kilos overweight for training. Um, and this is the guy you're bringing in to replace Ronaldo, basically. So he turns up overweight, yeah. which is not something I would ever imagine Ronaldo doing, coming back from pre-season training. Um, so they've got their own problems right now. And then Bayern have been lumbered with two very expensive loan deals, what they don't really want permanently, and they're also focused on trying to buy Leroy Sane. So that's their focus, and possibly a big domestic purchase from within the Bundesliga as well. I think Havertz was, was mentioned as sort of the one that they're after. So, um, or maybe being in the running for Timo Werner as well, to bring in a set forward. So, uh, really... You know, I think if United are going to buy anyone, it's only going to be one player. If they were to buy Sancho, I can't see them buying anyone else. Can you, you guys see anyone uh, else? First of all, exceptional analysis, Mike. Uh, really, really interesting. And I have to say, when you take a look at the numbers today, you've got 19 million in cash reserves and 150 million access to revolving credit. Now, did that primarily increased and this is one of the things that I was saying a while ago when people were talking about uh, 100 million is 100 million I'm like look first of all when you add in all the variables that are going to have to happen you're going to have currency devaluation right uh, it's going to affect economies completely differently the debt is in dollars and here we've had quantitative easing if you want to call it that uh, where the federal government just went and printed in insane amounts of money and of course made sure that small businesses and the people that needed it didn't get it. Um, and so that's going to devalue the currency, which will increase the debt in ratio to pounds or euro. Um, so you've got that problem. Uh, when you say access to 150 million revolving credit, what's that going to cost? You know, uh, when you take a look at uh, the published figures, Kira McGuire published this, which really is absolutely staggering that uh, United have paid 800 or $870 million in finance fees and interest charges for the privilege of being owned by the Glazers, $827 million. That is absolutely disgraceful. So do I think United are going to go out and spend $100 million on Sancho and bring in Grealish and bring in Bellingham? It's absolute pan-the-sky nonsense. There's no way. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they, in the public figures today, they had to give back $25 million but that's just the first quarter, so expect that to increase. These are only quarterly reports. So when you look at all the financial impact that's going to happen to clubs like United, uh, I prior to this pandemic, I would have said Jadon Sancho's nailed on. Right? Now, I am not confident in anything anymore, and I think given the fact we still don't even have a hard return date, that June 12th date could easily change. 
I just don't see it happening. And uh, I think uh, Mike also brings up a great point about the lack of investment in Old Trafford, which is basically being treated as an Airbnb, where you put a lick of paint on it and uh, you know you, you, you put a few tasty pictures on the wall because... You just, you know, it's not really, uh, you know, it, to me, you gauge an owner's um, commitment to a football club when you do the things that aren't sexy. Whenever you're 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 investing in the youth, your academy, when you're investing in training facilities, when you're investing in the stadium, that's a commitment to a club, not a team. There's a difference between a club commitment to a club and a team. Everything that the Glazers spent money on can be recouped by selling really easily. Uh, and then, of course, players get amortized over the course of years. There's no investment in anything that is long term. Um, and so, United will always be up for sale. They're, the Glazer is different. I've said this many times. You're dealing with owners that determine success by a profit and loss column, not a win loss column. So, for them, if finishing last got you the most money, that would be United's goal. Right? So. Oh. Uh, Sorry, I don't, I, hasn't there also been a reinvestment in the books? Haven't they started reinvesting in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Well, yes, well, it's interesting. Uh, they brought in uh, some big names. They brought in Tom Brady and Gronkowski, um, both of whom were free agents, but they paid a lot of money in salaries for them. So there has been. But the weird thing is, they're in a state that's run by an idiot governor, Ron Santos, who was allowing WWE to have sports in their. Uh, when I write smack bang in the middle of a pandemic because, well, I'm not going to, I want to be careful with label here, but um, it, it was suggested by people in the media that uh, Vince McMahon's wife uh, runs a huge CPAC that pays millions towards Trump's uh, campaign. Uh, they were going to get in big trouble with Fox over not fulfilling their contractual commitments. It was going to cost WWE a lot of money. So, of course, um, they allow them to have this in Florida. So I think the Glazers are probably confident that they'll be able to have fans in their stadium. Uh, uh, there's, there's, and they had reason for optimism that the NFL would resume. Um, Gavin Newsom out here, who's a California governor, said sports will resume, but there will be no... no um, fans in the stadium so they're getting confidence somewhere that there's revenue available to them but as far as United goes uh, I, I just don't see United going out spending massive amounts of money this summer. If they buy Jadon Sancho it'll be because Dortmund significantly reduced the price, Dortmund will need to sell. Um, it'll not be, there's no way they'll be spending £100 million on a player. No way. I don't envision anyone doing that for the next two yeah, to three years. I agree, man. Do you think, I can't really not touch on this before we wrap it up because what Phil just talk, talk, touched on there. And Mike, I want to go to you with this first with the whole supposed takeover of Newcastle United with the, the Saudi royal family and Mohammed bin Salman. This mm-hmm. is this this is a story that initially kind of started with their interest in Manchester United. And, and Phil, you kind of mentioned the mention it would always kind of be up for sale if, if they got sure. the right if they got the right money before i go to you phil mike because i think you'd be interested on this topic you've two evils here you've two evils you, you you have you have another evil here that could come in sports washing and show loads of money at the club and get all those signings that make those trigger happy fifa fans really excited about the club what would that mean to you if the likes of those people i'm gonna say those people because they're I don't respect them. I don't respect what 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 they stand for, what they what they do in their own country, what they've done to to journalists. The Glazers are bad, but I never wanted the Saudi takeover. 
never. Mike, your thoughts? Uh, I absolutely agree. I believe that the Newcastle takeover is pretty much done and dusted now, mm. by all accounts. I think that's right. So the, the a little sort of a quick background that the the sovereign investment fund of Saudi Arabia, even though technically Mohammed bin Salman isn't doesn't have direct oversight of that, he actually does. Mohammed bin Salman has direct oversight of everything that goes on relating to Saudi Arabia's governance and its foreign policy. Definitely his foreign policy. He is, for all intents and purposes, not only is he the domestic head of state, uh, head of internal affairs. I, I can't remember. His te- he's obviously he's the crown prince, which sort of makes him head of internal affairs. He basically heads up all foreign policy. Now, the whole reason that they were interested in buying United is because the Saudis want to do what the Qataris have done. And there's a huge... Um, nasty rivalry between Qatar and Saudi Arabia. They, I mean, there's, there's still sanctions and blockades on Qatar by um, a com- coalition of the Saudis, the UAE, and of course, sort of the chief state of the UAE is, is Abu Dhabi, who own Manchester City. Uh, do, 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 the Premier Oman, League, do the Premier League know what they're getting involved here by letting these come in? Because you just mentioned they these don't, two they, states. I mean, they, they, so they, mm. they don't care. They don't care. Let's let's get that right now. They don't care. And this is not just the Premier League. This is all of the big leagues in Europe have this same issue. Hence why AC Milan ended up in such a mess. Because Serie A were happy for this guy to come from China, claim that he had all this money, spend mm. money, and it turns out he never had this money. You know, you think United have been a shambles the last few years, yeah. not a patch of what's been going on at Milan. But because essentially what this is, they are, and it's called sport washing, what the Saudis are doing. It's what, mm-hmm. uh, it's what Sheikh Mansour and um, his uh, older, older siblings, God knows how many siblings there is, there's a lot of them. Um, and it's the same with what Qatar have been doing uh, with the Sovereign Investment Wealth Fund, and Qatar have been doing um, with, uh, with PSG. And um, it's China have also been looking to get in on this for the last few years, but they've been using proxies of sort of parentheses private businessmen who are actually heavily backed by the Communist Party and the Politburo of the Communist Party um, and sort of encouraged by Xi Jinping to go out and invest in these sports teams as a way to sort of launder their image. And that's what the Saudis are doing here. They looked at United, but for whatever reason, that was just a non-starter. I don't want them anywhere near the club. I'm kind of, I'm very conflicted about the Newcastle thing because I'm glad it means they're not buying us. But I also have time. I have a lot of friends that are Newcastle fans. I have a lot of their time for their fans and the fan base. And I think about when Newcastle went down and they've been relegated a couple of times in the last several years and they were still getting 40 plus thousand fans in that ground every yeah. week. They had an owner they hated, but they really represented that dichotomy that you get between of when you have this owner you hate so it's like the only real protest that you can make that's going to affect is if you all stop going. But then, do you want to stop going? Because that's a big part of the community, yeah. and it's like it's, it's a very difficult choice to make. And I don't envy any fans that get put in that position to make that choice. As we had been as United fans when the Glazers came in, yep. um, and I really feel sorry because I know there's some you get these absolute no marks on social media launching in, defending whatever the clubs do. You see it with City whenever the mm-hmm. human rights record of their owners gets mentioned. If you're, if you're I, 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 
Miguel Delaney's mentions. It's, oh, it's, it's excellent. He's not the only one. David Corn as well from the Guardian gets a, a lot of stick. It's like God forbid he's yeah. only reporting the facts. Um, well, and the well, same well, thing has happened with Newcastle. But I know a lot of Newcastle fans. The Newcastle fans I know are not happy about this at all. They're really not happy about this. It's like we get rid of this. Mike Ashley is an awful human being. Awful human being. Technically, he's not killed anyone. But, I mean, Jesus Christ, if he thought he could work people to death, I feel like he would do it if he felt he could get away with it. Here's the thing on this, lads. And this is where the Premier League are extremely nervous. And this is why I don't think they would ever approve a Saudi takeover of Manchester United. There's a massive issue with piracy in Saudi Arabia. And so what Saudi Arabia are doing is they're allowing piracy to be broadcast in the, 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 uh, their kingdom. Um, and they're stealing uh, the streaming rights, they're stealing Premier League content, and they're broadcasting it. And there's no judicial system for the Premier League to pursue uh, you know, piracy laws or anything like this. So there's a huge issue with them taking sports and showing it in Saudi Arabia and primarily stealing it from BN Sports. Um, so with United being a golden nugget, there's no way the Premier League are going to let them own Manchester United and then allow them to pirate the international streaming rights, which really was the golden nugget for the Glazers that they were holding on for. Because what they wanted to do, and they were looking at this a number of years ago with uh, in India and China, and India primarily, they, instead of you paying, I don't know, £20 a month for Sky Sports, you get a, a cart, an a la carte menu. So you say, all right, I'm not going to pay £20 for a monthly subscription to watch all the Premier League because I don't watch anyone other than Manchester United. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy four games a month at one ninety nine, And um, obviously for United to play Liverpool, let's say, you know, a billion people watch that, right? All paying £2 to watch the game, right? So that's enormous revenue that United and Liverpool would, would split, uh, and, and that would really create a massive competitive advantage over United's other over the other clubs in the league, rather than having this um, where you, you you know you, you have uh, equality in how you distribute the cash. So that the the piracy problem with Saudi Arabia is a serious issue, and this. They already in, they're already in the Sheffield United, and there's the problem of undue influence over one club on a, on another, and that most definitely would happen if Newcastle are bought. Uh, the owner of Sheffield United, who's linked to the City Royal family, would absolutely have no choice but to, um, you know whatever Newcastle the owners wanted, he'd have to do. That is unacceptable. So the Premier League have a serious business problem here, in that if they allow this to go through. Um, there's going to be massive lawsuits because BN Sports are they're the biggest distributor of Premier League throughout that part of the world are extremely upset that there's no legal recourse with their content being stolen. And it was reflected in the last Premier League uh, uh, television deal. Rather than increasing, uh, the, the, the Premier League were built for that. And it's going to continue to be reflected and it's it is a serious problem because even though it gets pirated in Saudi Arabia, it then gets redistributed all around the world. So that's heavily affecting Premier League clubs' ability to monetize their international streaming rights because of this piracy. That, to me, is going to be the biggest issue with letting them buy Newcastle and shoehorning their way into the Premier League with continuing. Then, of course, there's the ethical issues for Jesus Christ. If you're a journalist, you know, one of your colleagues was put through a wood chipper. 
I mean, come on. Mm. When you're, uh, there has to be, your moral compass has to be calibrated enough to say, look, when my entertainment is rooted in someone else's oppression, maybe, just maybe, I, I, I have to draw a line there and say, I don't want to, I, I, it's not for me anymore, you know, because I really wouldn't derive any pleasure in, you know, going out and standing Harry Kane for 200 million whilst and people of a different sexual persuasion are being pushed off buildings and being having their, their heads cut off and stuff. It's just absolutely disgraceful. It's disgusting. It's beyond appeal. And, you know, when Faction Shannon Watcher is passing a, a fit and proper test, it's a total embarrassment. Is there no spine for you to say, look, is there, if the devil showed up uh, and, and Hitler showed up and won the bad football club, would you find a way of saying, okay, if they had enough money? I mean, there has to be a bottom somewhere, and that is beneath the bottom for me. That, to me, you know, we'd say if they bought United, would we continue to watch them? Well, there's a bigger question. If they're heavily involved in the sport that you love, maybe you have to ask yourself, do you want to watch Premier League? Because they're endorsing that. Yeah, and to me that's absolutely disgusting. And and that one of the things that I will say during this lockdown, as much as I miss football, I've learned I can live without it. But do you, do you believe they ever had an interest in my Manchester? And if they did, sure, of do course. You think, do, you think, do you think what 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 stopped it? Because we we know of meetings where oh. Richard Arnold uh, and several members of Manchester had, had been in Saudi Arabia over meeting. And we, we're told there was there was different reasons for that, but. but why was Richard Arnold over there? Do you know? Did did did, did well, you not know, you know get a fright then when they got when they seen so much bad publicity? Where well, it's not no. the Glazers give a fuck about that. They weren't over there selling a club. To be fair, they were over there doing business with uh, Saudi PIF. I think it's is the correct name where they're doing and joint initiatives where there was some low level investment in United. Um, but that's how these things start. That's how the Glazers started. They started out with low level investment. They get a look at the books. They get a feel for things, and then. They go through with the buyout. You know, the Khashoggi thing was happening back then, so they were very visible. I don't think it was a good time for them, uh, Brandon-wise. But, you know, why would you buy Manchester United? For some of the reasons that Mike quite rightly pointed out for sports washing, um, which is a real issue. Um, but, you know, if you're stealing United's content in the, in, in the Middle East anyway and it's to getting distributed, um, you know, they would have to then put a stop to piracy because then it would cost them money, right? Mm. So um, I honestly believe the Premier League, not for ethical reasons, but for financial reasons, wouldn't allow the Saudis to buy United for that reason. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm delighted that hasn't happened, but hopefully there's a saviour somewhere down the line from, from the American parasites. Mm-hmm. Mike, how can we follow you on social media? I'm at Mycroft underscore Holmes, so you can find me on there. I sort of do a lot of the posts for the... Um, uh, strictly cast account so if you in if you uh see me replying to someone who has a really stupid take on football or you see that account reply to, that's me um just I, so I, you know this the strictly cast political <laughs> correspondent they're gonna call you some, some, some of the tweets but um I, i'm and of course phil how can people find your show beyond the pitch and find you on on social media uh, you can catch me at Malakans, which is my own Twitter account. That's M-A-L-A-C-H-I-A-N-S. People ask me what that is. It was a football team we played for back in Ireland. Um, and, of course, you can follow me at Beyond the Pitch. I've got uh, a boxing podcast as well at TWI Boxing Show, which I do with uh, former WBC world champion Wayne McCulloch. Uh, I've got tons of boxing content up there. So, uh, 
thanks to all of you, thanks to you, Dale. And I must say, Mike, a genuine pleasure to get to, to do this with you. And I would actually love to have you on my podcast sometime. Uh, it was you, you were fantastic, and I really yeah. I, I, I promise I w- I am sorting out getting a microphone. I've just seen that message <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah, you, that's the only thing you miss. You can get a mic, mate. But other than I that, you 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 were fantastic, and I'd love to have you on. Uh, I'd love to have you on PT sometime. Oh, definitely be my absolute pleasure. Yeah, okay. so that's that's this week's show. Hope you hope you enjoyed it. We had kind of we're going to try and get more guests of this nature. It's going to be hard to beat this one because because Phil, like I said, po- excellent podcast. And although man. although he's someone that that I haven't had the pleasure of meeting yet, we have tried in the past when he was in Ireland last. He's um he's someone that I hold as as a, as a dear friend because he's constantly in contact. Um, Thank all, you, and I, you know it means a lot coming on the show. And also to give your show a good push because it's coming back, coming back strong. You've got that young guy joining you, Callum. He's he, he's someone that if you if you don't know who Callum is, you have to get on. What's his Twitter again, Phil? Do you know his fit off by uh, the top of your head? Yes, it's uh, football underscore CFB, uh, and you'll find it on Beyond the Pitch as well on our Twitter feed. He's definitely worth following. He's a young Scottish school teacher. He loves football. Uh, he's a kid that uh, struggled with his own mental health, and that's primarily how we met. Actually, one of the positive dividends of being there for people and the kid has now been able to get something in his life that is extremely positive mm. and he's delivering exceptional content so brilliant uh, stuff brilliant thank stuff. you and and dale good luck with the baby mate uh wait, when's your when's your wife too she must be soon not wife just yet phil but oh, that's not what you told me. maybe one day um <laughs> wait a minute august, <laughs> august 16. Dude, you, listen don't worry about those technicalities. You got a baby, and uh, so uh, your 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 wife, husband, the rest of your life, Absolutely. kid. Absolutely, <laughs> I, I can't wait. I can't wait. Really enjoyed this, and definitely check out the lads on social media. We'll be back next week with more podcasts. So stay safe. See you again soon. Sports Social Podcast Network.